0: welcome to bitcoin fixes this where we explore the impact that bitcoin will have in all aspects of society today's guest is plan b financial modeler bitcoiner and traditional investor we talk about the current market negative interest rates and trades like the bitcoin future cash and carry Plan B also tells us about why he created the stock-to-flow and stock-to-flow cross-asset models, how he looks at investments, and why eliminating risk also eliminates reward. Plan B is one of the most popular anonymous accounts on Twitter, not just for his thus far accurate predictions of the current bull market. He's got a long history in the markets and has been through the economic upheavals of the last 25 years. His experience in the market and his analysis was really eye-opening. I'm releasing this early to celebrate getting to 200,000 followers on Twitter. To all of you that made it possible, thank you and enjoy. Plan B, how's everything going? <laughs> everything is fine, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, where uh, roughly whereabouts
1: are you in the world right now? I'm in uh, the Netherlands, Amsterdam. It's about 9 o'clock in the evening and uh, yeah like the rest of the world we're under uh, lockdown and cur- curfews so uh yeah it's it's darker <laughs> than the usual in Amsterdam
0: and how 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 is that for you like uh you know having curfews and stuff i i don't think i've actually had curfews here in austin uh, i can't imagine what that's like over there
1: yeah that's crazy actually i i mean the lockdown is not funny um it's it's uh, restrictions on how many people uh, can be in your house, and uh, of course, uh, work is all all, all remote. But uh, the, the the curfews are even worse, and and well, it basically doesn't don't make really much sense at all. Uh, so it's yeah, but you can't leave your house at uh, after nine, or you will be um, fined. Uh, yeah, sometimes beaten up by the cops, and uh, yeah, it's it's really reminds you of the war, and it is, it 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 really is like seventy years ago, sixty years ago in the wartime. That was the last time we had a curfew in the Netherlands. It's, it's crazy. Oh wow! Yeah.
0: So it's kind of like a war, but against an enemy that you can't see or really feel or anything.
1: Yeah, almost against your own uh, government. It's it's um, yeah, it's it's very, very strange situation. Okay.
0: Well, so a lot of people know about your work, um, but they don't really know like what you do for a living and stuff. So can you um, sort of uh, sum up for our audience what it is that you do as your day job and why, you know, how that led to the model that everyone uh, looks at now?
1: Yeah, so I'm an investor. I um, study economics, uh, financial economics, and uh, and law, actually. I have two degrees. Uh, and after that, I started working in uh, traditional finance. Uh, so I've seen uh, trading rooms, I've seen bank balance sheets, life insurance balance sheets. And, uh, and currently, I'm working uh, for a big uh, Dutch institutional investor uh, in a team that actually invest the, the balance sheet and um, that balance sheet is about a 100 billion uh, dollars uh big um and as you can imagine those are not the very fancy uh, investments those are the mortgages and bonds all all fixed income that generate uh, interest and uh hmm. yeah but it's it's very interesting because you um yeah you always uh have to deal with central banks and with uh capital charges that are derived from the volatility of those, the risk of those uh, investments. And from that perspective, from that position, actually, uh, I could, I have actually witnessed um, a lot of crisis. Um, so the, my first crisis was 2000, no, it was 1998, uh, the Asian tiger, uh, the foreign exchange markets and the Russia default, and then the dot-com crisis, of course. And after that, 2008, the banking crisis the global financial crisis and now we're in the uh, yeah what is it covid crisis um, mm. and well especially things like quantitative easing and in Europe negative interest rate policies with uh, interest rates at uh, minus 50 basis points it's uh, it's a weird world even even in the financial traditional finance world that is that is very boring normally it's it's kind of yeah Mm. very strange and 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 from that perspective uh yeah bitcoin is one of the um the few light 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 uh points in the in in the darkness mm.
0: all right so you work in the traditional finance world um i i guess like modeling uh certain securities and trying to figure out the risk of various things is that right yeah
1: so yeah the, the, my main focus and my my specialty is modeling the um so valuing the uh, investments, but also sourcing them. Um, and uh, well, if you buy a thousand dollars or a million dollars, even uh, of something, that's that's not a big problem. But if you if you source like the, the minimum amount that we source things in is 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 like hundreds of millions or even uh, a couple of billion, then you have to have a sourcing strategy. And well the the calculation and all the uh the analysis that's that's the part i like most but of course as that goes in your career the further you come you'll uh they make you a manager and then you uh <laughs> yeah you, you have a whole team and then you manage uh people as well but uh, my, my hobby and my my really uh, my specialty is is uh uh all sorts of magic with cash flows and investments, and and also the legal part, right? The the, the SPVs and and structured finance, uh, as we call it.
0: Hmm. Well, so that brings me to a question. So, how does central banking policy exactly affect a traditional finance? Because you 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 seem to place a great importance in what they do and how that's used for your modeling.
1: Yes. Uh, so a normal company has uh, shareholders that they have to, uh, yeah, they, they have to take responsibility. They have to account for uh, shareholders and accountants, uh, but a, a bank or an insurance company needs to, um, to, uh, to be compliant to the, uh, the laws and to the regulators, like the central banks, they, uh, they, they, uh, um, yeah, they regulate the banking industry. So for every investment that you make, the, uh, you, you sort of have to have um, an okay from your central bank uh, and they review all your plans yearly. They do audits and they, um, yeah, they, you, you have to report on a monthly basis about all your investments, the whole balance sheet and what what kind of risks are involved in the in the investing. But also they translate it then or the law does that and they, they control it. Uh, how many capital you have to uh, hold against it? So that's the whole capital management part of hmm. uh, of investing and um, yeah and, and and there's also the the asset liability part. So for example, a bank has uh, saving uh, accounts, very short duration uh, uh, liabilities. So they need to have short duration assets against it. And a pension fund, for example, will have very long uh, duration uh, uh, liabilities, the pension liabilities that could take ten or twenty or thirty years. So it's very natural to to put long dated uh, long maturity uh investments against those so that's that's where a lot of the risk comes from if if you don't do the matching well and they they control it so and then of course there's the um, the lending facilities you get uh, you you can lend at the central banks they can um uh and and the rates the short term interest rates are very important they sort of direct the market um yeah, they, they sort of are the base rate, the 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 uh, yeah market rate, if you will, that uh, that is set by the the central banks. It's short, it's short duration, but nowadays, especially after uh, two thousand eight, they also when they started the Q, QE quantitative easing, printing money in in uh, normal terms, they started buying all sorts of stuff. In the beginning, it was uh, stuff on the balance sheets that that was basically in default, or uh, well troubled troubled assets, if they as, as they like to call it, uh, and, and when they buy stuff like mortgages and bonds, they they buy it. They, they um, what well, the prices go up and the interest rate goes down. Does so in in that way they also put pressure on the longer term interest rates like the 10 years or five years interest rates not only on the very short three three month one month but they yeah their their influence is all over and uh well it's a good thing because they they keep th- their goal of course is to keep the system safe and to keep all the banks and insurance companies uh, solvent and so that they can honor their uh, liabilities
0: Okay, well, so let's let's dig into that a little bit because uh, a lot of people know that there's a, a, you know some sort of Fed funds rate or I, I think in Europe it's a, it's a different rate. Why is that interest rate so important? Like uh, the ability of the central bankers to lower or raise those interest rates is given a lot of importance, but I don't think that many people understand exactly why. So could you explain uh, why that ends up being such an important part of traditional finance?
1: Yeah, so so there's a couple of things to uh, unpack. Um, first of all, uh, the main asset for an uh, institutional investor, a bank or insurance company, is a short or is a fixed income um, instruments. So so mortgages, everything with a with a, a coupon with a, an interest rate. Um, so that being the main the main part and and with the things i said uh, earlier uh the influence of a big buyer like a central bank in the uh, in the market is also is always uh important thing to look at but mm. the main thing that uh, central banks um have what well, th- their mandate if you will um it's different in the us than than in europe but in europe it's very very simple the mandate is to keep inflation rates at 2% and mm. If the inflation rate gets too high because the economy overheats, it's going very well. They um, they normally raise the interest rates to to uh, to slow it down and keep um, uh, the inflation's uh, low. And 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 that's the uh, the other way around as well. So if uh, right now the interest rate is is going down and that's also because of old age population getting getting older and older especially in europe and japan uh, 20 years earlier so and and technology of course those are all very deflational uh, deflation um uh oriented forces uh, so they have they really have a problem keeping the interest rate or the, the sorry the the uh, inflation rate at 2% and that's why they are very um uh, easy in 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 the uh, in the money they make available, so they they call it easing, quantitative easing. They mm-hmm. they just print a lot more money to uh, because that's that's good for the economy. The economy will then um, grow harder. That's the thinking uh, at least, and then uh, inflation rates will uh, go uh, go up again. But until now, we have not not seen that. Of course, only in the assets that they are buying, but not in the stuff that we, the normal people, are buying.
0: Hmm. Okay, so just to sum up, basically the uh, central bank, if they raise interest rates, that um, has the effect of uh, you know having less consumption. But if they lower interest rates, then um, more investment happens with the extra money printed or something like that, and that that's the idea that they're doing.
1: Yes. Is that right? Yes, that's right, yeah.
0: Okay. All right. So uh, obviously, you, you've you been in tra- traditional finance uh, a long time. And you you uh, named for us three different crises that happened, like 1998, the ruble collapse, I think the Asia uh, crisis around then too. Um, and you mentioned 2008. Um, I think there was also post 9-11, there was a a bit of a blip there. Why? Why do these things keep happening? If uh, if the central banks are so focused on keeping the economy stable,
1: yeah, that's a very good question. I, I think it's part of life. I think it's part of life to um, sometimes make mistakes as investors, uh, especially if if uh, the economy is going well, like uh, like in the dot com uh, crisis with the um, internet bubble. There, there is a lot of misinvestment, of course, and some people get burned and that's how it should be right it's it's uh it's a part of life and what they're now actually trying to do and yeah, mainly uh, since 2008 is prevent companies from from defaulting and especially banks because they are of course very interested very important for the uh, economy but by trying to prevent default in all areas they're just yeah Killing the business cycle, if you will, and and eliminating volatility. Like it's like we can't have any volatility anymore. We can't have defaults anymore. We can't have people losing their money anymore. So, it's 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 actually kind of a joke in in um, in the market uh, since ben Bernanke uh, put uh, the interest rates uh, 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 close to zero. We were talking about the Bernanke put. So everything you could buy uh, equity, for example, you could you could take risk whatever you wanted because the central bank would would always come there to save you if it would go wrong, and that's mm. what we call the Bernanke put. And that, of course, is not very healthy thinking because you will take yes. too much risks knowing that the central bank will uh, will come and rescue you. And yeah, I, I like the. Um, the uh, talk that uh, and, and the story that Jeff Booth has in this uh, respect with uh, Schumpeter, the economist, uh, uh, with the theory theory about uh, creative destruction. So, um, creative destruction means that companies have to go bust. They have to go to go to go into default and make makes make room for new technology and new companies that uh, and your people as well. And that's a very important ingredient of uh, capitalism, of, of, uh, of financial markets as well. So if you take that away, um, then, yeah, you get very strange situation. And that's exactly the situation we're in right now.
0: Yeah, so just to explain for my audience what, what a put option is, it's the right to sell you something at a particular price. And what you're saying with a Bernanke put is that any business that you have, you can, uh, you have, uh, you'll, you'll always be able to sell it at a certain price because there's going to be a buyer or a lender of last resort that that will essentially rescue you should uh, you have a worse business than uh, you thought you did, and you know that that's essentially backstopping the entire economy um so uh, with respect to uh that sort of thing which causes this lack of creative destruction that you were talking about what what effect does that have in traditional finance what what um what sort of uh like how does that change your investment strategy and so on yeah there's one
1: dominant thing actually um by by taking volatility out of the market, uh, volatility being risk, by, by taking all the risks, by insuring all the risks, if you will, uh, and, and mm-hmm. preventing companies and banks and insurance companies from defaulting, they also take away all the yields because risk and return are two sides of the same coin. So by Mm. preventing all risk, but but, yeah, there is also no yield anymore. So the biggest problem and that that there is right now in finance is uh, there's no yield. So everybody's looking for return, but there is no return, especially in Europe with the whole um, uh, yield curve, the interest rates from one month to uh, say 30 years, they're all negative. So (laughs) Mm. yeah, you have to take, you have to take take on some really exotic um investments um to to make even a couple of percent uh, return
0: and mm. that of course also leads to unintended consequences well so who who buys those negative yield bonds because you're actually paving paying them to hold your money so like who who buys those? I do. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, uh, professionally then, of course. Uh, you are, Everybody
1: does because we all know that um, the interest rates go down. And when the interest rates go down, you're, you're – um, so, so you don't make the interest on your uh, investment. So you don't get coupons. Actually, you have to pay. But if the interest rate goes even further down, the actual value of your investment will go up. And that's hmm. – that's actually been a very good, very nice investment. Uh, so even the the negative yielding bonds, uh, as 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 long as the interest rates goes down and keeps going down, there's no problem. But when it it stops going down, or even, God forbid, it when interest rates go up, yeah, then the the music stops.
0: <laughs> so so it's predicated on uh, interest the interest rates going down even more which causes uh, the value of the bond to go up, even though it's essentially like, you know, like giving them money to uh, to hold it or uh, gi- giving them money for the privilege of them holding your money or something like that. Because of this expectation that rates will go even lower, the price of the bond Goes up, and at least you you can make a profit on that. Is is that what you're saying? Yes,
1: yes, because yeah. So for example, if you have a bond that's yielding minus one percent, and that that seems like a, a pretty uh, bad deal right now. But in a world, say the interest rate goes down again, and it goes to minus five percent, and, and uh, okay, that sounds very outlandish at the moment. But the IMF, of course, has already studies done. Uh, and, and, and implementations ready for, for a scenario like that. But once you have a, 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 a situation with a minus 5% interest rate environment, your minus 1% bond is, is the best thing there is, right? It's, it's, it's better mm. than minus 5. <laughs> so th- that goes up in value. Yeah, that's exactly how it works.
0: Mm. But I mean, in a sense, uh, what what's being created are all these toxic assets, and no one's going to want. as Soon as the music stops, and as soon as they can't drop the rate anymore, is that, that's also what you're saying?
1: Yeah. So so it's it's all very weird to to every one of us. You you know the the normal models that you need for, for valuing these these assets st- stop working. Right. Even in Excel, you you, s- you plug in a negative interest rate, it, it all starts to get very weird. Uh, but yeah, I think we're all aware that it's uh, uncharted territory, and we're all, yeah, sort of anxious to see where it where it ends. But this cannot go on forever. So yeah, I I don't want to be a dooms prophet, but <laughs> this this is going to end somewhere.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting what you said that like risk and reward are two sides of the same coin, and that. Uh, because the central banks have more or less removed risk, you also get no reward, uh, and that the whole system is basically completely static at this point. Or, I mean, it's leaking a little bit or something like that through these negative rates. Um, like, how, like, what what's like? Are they looking long term? Like, the central banks have to know that the music's going to have to stop at some point, and that. They're essentially creating a world where there's no growth whatsoever.
1: Yeah, well, they know they're very transparent uh, about it. So they once they start at quantitative easing, they uh, they they said it uh, as well, like okay, uh, governments, we can um, go this path, we can go and finance the whole economy, we can go negative interest rates, we can go uh, quantitative easing routes, but remember, there is no way back. There is no way back, so we can we can blow it up right now or kick the can, but there, and and let, let's choose that route of kicking the can because at least we have time to to think of something smart. But um, yeah, no, they, they they know it, and and, um, and we're just kicking the can right now. So so yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's it's even, and it's really worse, Jimmy, because because you know all the markets are of course interconnected. So, an, an, uh, a fixed income market is connected with the equities market. It's connected with the foreign exchange market. It's connected with all the deri- derivatives markets. So, if the interest rates go down, people go like me and my company, and but but also um, normal people, they go and uh, looking for yield. Where, where can you get a return? And that, well, then the first thing you you notice is the the equity market, of course. So, you you take your money off your saving account. Uh, you put it into equities but if you look at the equity markets the dividend yields are well historically low it's mm. it it's very low and um yeah and then you <laughs> what, what do you look at you so yeah it, it's it's a very fragile situation and then something like bitcoin comes along which is well like the complete opposite of everything that that's going on right now, and, and almost too good to be true. It's, it's, mm. yeah.
0: so <laughs> well, uh, all, right, all right. So you're you're saying all of these are connected. Let's pull on that thread just a little bit. Um, to to what degree does the bond market affect, say, the uh, the public equities market?
1: Oh, there's a lot of connections. Um, but but uh, there's well, one connection is for the companies themselves, so they can um, they can lend money uh, cheap uh, if the interest rates are down, they can refinance all their current, uh, bonds and, and, and loans. And with that money, uh, they can buy back their shares and buying back their shares means the, uh, the shares go up in price. And, uh, and of course that's very good for their, uh, options and their bonuses. Uh, but also for investors, if the, um, risk return on bonds is 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 not very good anymore because the interest rates are negative, for example, you start looking at other markets, equity markets, for example, and then you start buying them and bidding up the prices as well uh, until those markets are not attractive anymore. So it spills over uh, in that respect. And then there's the derivatives markets as well um, that... Um, a, an option is basically, a, a call option, for example, is basically a um, a combination of a, a bond and a, a stock market position or an underlying. Uh, it, it matters what kind of option it is, but but there is a connection through the uh, derivatives markets as well. So yeah, there's there's all sorts of uh, interconnected, interconnectedness interconnectiveness between those markets. Okay.
0: Well, so uh, let's talk about Bitcoin, because uh, what you're saying is that it is just so different than what's out there. Um, can you describe some of those differences? And as sort of somebody that works in the traditional finance space, w- what strikes you about it and what what, what is actually really different?
1: Yeah, if, if we just look at it from an investor point of view, so... Without going into all the technical details or even what it, what it is, just see it as a number on the screen, as something some asset I can buy. What, what you then and and investors have a really simple look at the world. They they view the world as a risk on the x axis and return on the y axis world. So it's a two dimensional world. It's risk and return, and well, everything everything is. Is is sort of dropping down to the zero risk, zero uh, return bucket or a or, or corner, if you will, and then then comes Bitcoin. Uh, mm. Bitcoin <laughs> is on average two hundred percent return last twelve years, mm. right? Two hundred percent, which is already way above anything uh, else in the market, and the and the return is so the return is two hundred percent. The risk is also very very high. It's it's like well. Uh, depending how you look at it, the worst year was like 80, 85% loss, if you take that as a risk. Uh, Hmm. And if you look at option markets, you can look at implied volatility, it's 100%. Sometimes it's more. So you have a thing that is very risky, say 80% risk, you can lose 80%. And it's very, very uh, high return, like 200% on average. So it's, yeah, it's the total opposite corner of that, of that two-dimensional world. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, can, you can see that as a slide, right? You can take, um, you could put not all your money in Bitcoin. You could put half of your money in Bitcoin or 10% or, or even 1%. But it gets, mm-hmm. it gets weirder even then because if, if you would have put 1% of your money into Bitcoin, and 99% into cash just do nothing with it that combination would have would have um, done better than the S&P 500 in both risk and return terms so you would have more more return and less risk and that is that is sort of the holy grail that every investor is looking for and mm. if you find it your first reaction of a of a trained professional investor will be this can't be true what did I do wrong? <laughs> Let's calculate it again, and then you calculate it again, and you you find it again. <laughs> so mm. it's yeah, it's really something that shouldn't be there. And but mm. but still, anyone can buy it, and and even you know what what is the example that is that is most um, recognized by traditional investors? It's not the outright, uh, or, or at least the investors that I talk uh, with. It, it's not the outright. Bitcoin position where you had to have this 200 percent return and eighty percent risk. No, it's the uh, the futures markets, uh, the 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 cash and carry strategy. So you buy a Bitcoin mm-hmm. and then you sell it at the same time for delivery mm. one year later. And the, mm. the the futures market is in contango. That's a technical term for the future price of Bitcoin is higher than the current spot price of Bitcoin and it's about mm. 20% higher so you earn mm. an immediate 20 percent so you buy bitcoin you sell it on the futures market for delivery one year later and you make 20% profit in dollar terms okay but you're mm-hmm. only interested in dollar terms mm-hmm. and well and the risk is is well there is some risk but but not much because the position is collateralized and with margins it's it's um it's kept up to date uh, daily, so so the risk is really really low, and uh, yeah, it, it actually I don't understand why not every bank and an insurance company is at least uh, studying it and even well uh, put a toe in the water and and trying it with with some small test portfolio. It's 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 really, but it's something they recognize and find very interesting, even more interesting yeah, than the outright uh, position.
0: Yeah, that 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 is interesting. That whole cantango uh, that 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 has, and you you have that cash and carry strategy where you uh, buy the bitcoin right now and sell the future, and then you just have to carry it to term, and then uh, and then you uh, you deliver the future, and then you're done, and you you make twenty percent in that in that period of time, which is kind of crazy that that's available and that. It isn't getting pounded because, in a sense, if you're selling the future, then the future price should come down. So, why why does this gap exist? Or who, or like, is there some risk in there or something that we're not spotting? What What's going on?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's a very interesting question. What I think is going on is um, if you look at the. The gold market, there you see the same thing, right? It's it's a mm-hmm. contango uh, market. Mm-hmm. The future is a market is in contango, so but but mm-hmm. much much less. So it's it's the gold prices uh, one year from now are one percent higher, and the reason for that is that um, the cost of storing and insuring uh, gold is about one percent. So uh, that market is sort of imbalanced. You so you could buy it right now, gold spot, but you get it delivered. And then you you have to store it and and insure it, and then that will cost you 1%. Or you can buy it for delivery next year, and then, of course, you don't have those costs. So that's Mm -hmm. that's sort of how it should be. And with Bitcoin, I think there's a very natural meeting of the minds, if you will, of two parties. And one, that's the very bullish Bitcoiners that want to play with leverage, that want to go Mm – Three x, ten x, even hundred x. <laughs> which, of mm-hmm. course, is crazy. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the fastest way to get wrecked. Even ten x is uh, leverage is, is yeah not very wise. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, big markets and, and a lot of people doing that, so there's there's a a whole bunch of people looking for leverage. And then, of, of course, there's, uh, uh, on the other side, people that uh, provide that uh, leverage uh, opportunity by taking the cash and carry uh, side of that trade. So they're happy with the 20% risk-free, and they give up the upside, right? Even if, if Bitcoin does the 200% average return, uh, yeah, you, you're missing 180%. But, of course, if... the if it goes down eighty percent, you also miss that. So, mm. so there's a <laughs> there's a risk reverse, uh, a risk averse uh, group of investors, and I call those the traditional investors. Maybe the mm-hmm. yeah, I know there's a lot of hedge funds uh, doing this, and then on the other side of that same trade is the leverage long, uh, very bullish Bitcoin uh, investors, and and those are yeah, that's a very natural market, and as long as they um, uh, those those two groups keep keep growing and keep going at it at the way they're doing right now. That twenty percent margin in between will stay there, and and Bitcoin goes will go uh, go up. It will have room to go up in my in my view.
0: Hmm. Well, so that it, it seems so strange to me, right? Because if you're a corporation and you can float a bond for I don't know one or two percent. Uh, for say a hundred million dollars and then you do this cash and carry trade and then you pay out the one percent you you make 19 percent. that seems like a no-brainer why yeah. why isn't that happening like what it's it, it seems like such a such a straightforward trade it, i feel like we're missing something here about like how these markets work or there there's some leak somewhere or hidden risk or something
1: well that's a sound sound thought that that mm-hmm. maybe we're missing something but I, i'm I'm doing this myself, and it works. So, uh, and, and you could also say, you could say, why is nobody doing this? Uh, which is what I've been saying as well. But on the other hand, if you look at the market and the open interest, the number of contracts that are out there, it's growing every day, and it's about mm. it's it's almost twenty billion right now, only the futures markets. So mm. it is it is growing. I guess more and more people are actually finding this this neat trick. Arbitrage and and doing it so so the the question then becomes how long will it stay? The, mm. how, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it will. <laughs> it, it will stay very long, by the way. But yeah,
0: but that that that's like a free twenty percent that anyone could get if if they just do the cash and carry, and it's not. It's not like I mean, contango happens with oil all the time, right? Like where you have to actually store the freaking barrels of oil for an entire year before you you make it, and you have to uh, factor in the cost of storing the oil safely and legally and uh, in a regulated way and stuff like that. Yeah. But but with Bitcoin, it's it, there's no real storage cost. It's not a physical item. So
1: well, well, or or Jimmy, what also could be the case is that that investors perceive the storing cost as very high. Because uh, uh-huh. coins get lost, and you have to do this, this, uh, this uh, very, uh, yeah, uh, weird thing with the keys, and you, the keys can get lost, and, and maybe they're they're very afraid of that, and uh, and, and it's like the custodian, uh, the custody costs that are very high, and insurance costs, and they they fear hackers, and maybe the the risks are perceived very high. It could it could be that simple.
0: I mean, perhaps. So uh, that's absolutely fascinating. And I wish we could talk more about it and figure figure out what's going on. Uh, But let's go back to Bitcoin, the asset, because I I think what you described it as is it's sort of an asset that's outside of this uh, central bank paradigm of, you know, zero risk, but also zero reward. It's a lot of risk and a lot of reward. Um, And it seems right now that it's starting to entangle with a lot of stuff that's uh, central bank managed. And when, when you mix those, you, you get something that's in between. It's not completely risk-free and completely like zero reward. But at the same time, it's also not you know, lots of risk and lots of reward, it's like somewhere in between. So for example, if you buy MicroStrategy stock, you're somewhere in between because they have a lot of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Uh, If you own uh, their convertible note, uh, well, it's also something in between because you don't actually have Bitcoin, but you get exposure to MicroStrategy's upside. And at the same time, like, uh, you know, they'll at least pay like 0.75%. So um, is Bitcoin like sort of Changing traditional financial, um, you know, assets or you know products uh, to, like, actually add a little bit more juice to all of that. What what what's going on here? Yeah, I think that's that's correct.
1: Although we have to uh, keep in mind that Bitcoin is very small, so it it's about what is it eight hundred billion right now market. So that's that's mm-hmm. a large cap stock like uh, like Tesla. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not big in um, in uh, bond market terms or foreign exchange market terms, where um, yeah, th- th- those are measured in the tri- in the tens or trillions. Uh, I think the global bond market is hundred trillion US dollar. So Bitcoin is very small, and that way, it cannot be of much importance in the traditional finance world at this time. But on the other hand, all the stuff that we talked about the risk return world the central banks are going out of their way to kill risk and and yield and they're succeeding in that by just mm. yeah printing so much money that that there is no risk and return seemingly no risk and return anymore but the world is not a riskless place and that risk mm. has to go somewhere and i think mm. that the way i look at it is is yeah most of that risk is sort of regrouping in the Bitcoin space and the, and the return as well, it's, it's like you get all the risk return that is that is that is deleted from the traditional markets by by the money printer. Uh, that it it goes, it sort of uh, drips into Bitcoin uh, in a concentrated mm-hmm. way, and mm-hmm. because all the markets are in, in, interconnected, uh, from there from Bitcoin it goes back to normal markets as well. Uh, and you, you named the, uh, uh, you mentioned the uh, uh, micro strategy example. That's very interesting because there you have a lot of Bitcoin exposure that you can just buy on the Nasdaq, and mm-hmm. it is sort of a Bitcoin ETF, right? That's not allowed on, on in, in in the US as an ETF, but uh, a company that has a lot of Bitcoin on its balance sheet, of course, uh, has the same risk return profile and. Um, yeah, so there, there the markets are interconnected, and um, I, I think we see more of that. You can, you can almost predict what's going on. It's like risk and return is like water. Uh, you can, you can kill it in one in one corner, and then it shows up in the other corner, and and arbitrages can be uh, short lived in one area of the world and and then they pop up in another area of the world so or another asset so they're constantly packaged and repackaged and but it it never goes away there is risk and there's return and so i'm very glad that it popped up in the bitcoin uh, corner of the world where uh, (laughs) a lot of us have been uh, looking and investing so uh, yeah i think that will continue
0: so I mean, in a sense, uh, what what's happening in the financial world, at least uh, with microstrategy Tesla and you know the convertible node and so on, is that you have this central bank world where there's zero risk and or and zero really return. Um, you have the Bitcoin world where you have a lot of risk and a lot of return and they're starting to commingle and uh, and it's almost as if, Um, The central bank has no power over Bitcoin. So when you mix those, you get something that's like somewhere in between that a lot of uh, that seemed pretty attractive to a lot of investors. For example, the convertible note was uh, oversubscribed by like $150 million. Do you see more of that happening going forward in traditional finance? Are, Are people going to uh, uh demand more of this Are companies going to create uh float more convertible notes or something something similar to uh give some exposure to bitcoin or something like that what what's what do you see happening going forward
1: yes i, I think it will go on it it's it is the same as uh, in the beginning when you buy bitcoin i think everybody every one of us has this this same feeling in the beginning you don't know what it is it's risky uh, but but you you find it interesting and you want to invest so you don't bet the farm but you you just take out some money and well put your toe in the water and then you see it double you think hey i should have done more and then you do some more and then it doubles again and then well that that's how you how you sort of get sucked into the bitcoin and you keep this this feeling of 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 never having enough bitcoin um but that's the same i i guess with uh with the futures uh cash and carry strategy that that we talked about i think if you do it uh one time and you see hey i get this 20 percent, and yeah there's no volatility there's there's, it's just nothing unexpected all the cash flows are there daily as i expected with no hiccups Uh, let's do it again but but with uh with uh, 10 million instead of one or 100 million or whatever and and the same with micro strategy i think the uh, note was about 700 billion that they uh The loan that they took out, and uh, it was against 0.75 basis point, or or 0.75%, 75 Mm -hmm. 75%, uh, basis points interest. Well, I think that that was a uh, pretty sweet deal for them because Bitcoin already doubled, I guess, since they did it. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I would be surprised if they were not talking about the next uh, note, (laughs) (laughs) which would maybe be bigger than, uh, than the 700 million. And mm-hmm. of course, um, uh, Michael Saylor, uh, but, but uh, me too, and all the other investors, they talk with their friends. And they, and they talk about their, especially investors, they always talk about their returns and their portfolios. So <laughs> if somebody says, well, I had a great year, I, you know, I made 10% return. Well, mm-hmm. right now, he, he gets laughed at. <laughs> because uh, a bitcoiner will have two hundred percent. The cash and carry trader will will have twenty percent, and uh, yeah, maybe Michael Saylor with his uh, seven hundred million note has has even more. So, yeah, I think this this is a self uh, sustaining uh, cycle that that just yeah word of mouth uh, grows and grows and grows.
0: All right. So a uh, question for you, and, and, and I, I'm pretty sure that like the listeners of the show will want to know this information. This cash and carry trade, which is essentially buying buying Bitcoin now and selling the future. Um, is this available to retail investors as a way to get 20%? Because that seems like something that a lot of people would just sign up for in, a, in an instant. If they can get 20%, Uh, in a 12 month, I mean, this is essentially like a 12 month CD, uh, that you're getting 20% on. Like, is this something that they can do? Is that, is that a trade that like what, what would be required for a retail investor to do the cash and carry trade?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's one of the reasons that I quit my job to to just uh, analyze and investigate uh, the opportunities for retail investors a little bit more. Because frankly, I don't know. I know that for institutional parties, it's it's quite easy because you could go to the CME exchange uh, in Chicago or New York Stock Exchange in New York and uh, but I guess the minimum there is five Bitcoin contracts for the futures, so that's
0: mm. yeah currently that's, that's not a small amount that's a, no. that's almost a quarter million dollars already,
1: yeah, that's a quarter million dollars, so there will be a lot of people who can't can't do that and um uh so so i, I actually i I don't really know if if it's available at, at which at Which exchanges at at what at what rates and at what costs as well? So I know there is there is exchanges that because uh, we haven't talked about the option market, uh, uh, but but there you can do something similar. It's called uh, uh, covered call writing, and you can even get as much as forty percent uh, on an annualized basis, but with a little risk. Um, and um, I know uh, um, that that. Particular option strategy is very well available for retail investors, and I think the the I think it's available as well for uh, for for futures cash and carry. But I I cannot recommend at the moment which exchange uh, you would have to take or something, and 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 that of course could be a little bit of a risk because uh, the CME and the New York Stock Exchange, of course, are very large. Uh, Institutions that are very well known by traditional investors and that are uh, that have excellent custodian services behind it. I think Fidelity does that, and also insurance up till well, well, a certain amount. I think up till 150 million, your your trades are insured. So y- your average uh, exchange in a small country will not offer those services, and and of course you would t- take on some risk uh, at that moment. So. Those are all the all all things that I'd like to uh, analyze and and publish about, and also use it, uh, myself. So so um, yeah, I think it's a lot easier with the option markets, but mm. there's other risks involved, of course, with volatility. But uh, um, yeah, I, I, to, short answer: I think it is available, but I don't know exactly, and I don't know it. If it will be against the same favorable conditions as we institutional investors can can do it.
0: All right. So um, you mentioned the covered call writing. Essentially, that would be buying Bitcoin and then uh, selling a call in the future. I guess maybe at the same price or something like that, and getting the premium. Um, the risk there is that Bitcoin goes down enough that the premium doesn't cover the loss on the uh, on the underlying. Is that is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. So
1: future is the the right to uh, buy or sell and the obligation. So you you have to sell uh, or or or, uh, or buy, and the option is just one leg. So you there's the the right to buy or sell, but not the obligation. So for example, a call option. If you um, buy a call option and the and uh, uh, so you buy the right to buy bitcoin at the current price for example and if it goes up of course that right is worth something because you can mm-hmm. buy against the, the lower price the current price but if it goes down you're not going to exercise that right you so if if you have a call option for 48000 or what is the price right now and the mm-hmm. price goes to 40000 then well of course you buy for 40000 and not for so you don't exercise your right your call option right uh so that that has some some specific uh advantages and disadvantages um but uh yeah and of course i might I mean I, I should take a warning here this this derivative stuff with futures and uh and options and swaps etc is is uh quite complicated you have to know what you're doing and it's mm-hmm. yeah basically not something that uh retail investors should do so um, maybe the best thing would be for a fund to sort of make this available for uh for retail investors
0: yeah I mean it seems like a, like a very easy hedge fund to set up it's yes. Just, yes. Like, okay this is the strategy we're gonna execute we're gonna we're gonna sell cover calls and we're gonna we're gonna do the cash and uh you know cash and yeah. carry trade on the future and that's all we're gonna do for the next year and uh and you get you either get the money back or you don't uh but you know i mean like the risk is here are the risks it, you know bitcoin crashes to this price like you you'll know exactly all of the numbers basically and then you could take a management fee and even after the management fee i imagine it'd be at least a 15 percent return
1: yeah 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 <laughs> and and and, and jamie the, the call option market it's crazy it's uh you can have uh Annual call option, uh, at-the-money call option uh, premiums of forty, forty-five percent, right? So mm. <laughs> that's wow. yeah, you get that front and and you can keep it if the if, if 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 the Bitcoin goes down, you can keep your Bitcoins too, and of course you give some of the upside uh, away, but uh, but well, yeah, well you have kept your upside at uh, at forty or forty-five percent, which is. Well, I very mean, that's yummy. Not terrible
0: to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, they're, they're, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are people listening in and saying, you know what? I might not do Bitcoin, but you know, 40, 40%, I I, I could get on board with that, you know, especially if it's a uh, fairly low risk. Uh, so let, let's get into uh, something else that's sort of a consequence of all of this uh, that we're talking about, which is this futures cash and carry trade and the covered um, call option trade. Um, both of them require you to lock up your Bitcoin uh, because you you basically have to, if you're doing cash and carry, you have to hold for at least a year before it goes back into the market uh, with a covered call. You have to cover, You you have to hold that. Hold the underlying up until the option expires. So, like with both, uh, there that might cause a lot of people, a lot, a lot of bitcoins to be locked up. Um, this is a sort of secondary effect, but I think you and Preston have been talking about this. Can you describe what what that's going to do to the market?
1: Yeah, we we have. Yeah, Preston and I, and also Adam Beck, is very interested in those those uh, strategies as well. I think he even uh, does them th- himself. And we were tweeting about it like one hour ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's yeah, we, we're we're looking at it, we're experimenting with it, and um, I think it's right, yeah, Preston is right because uh, it was his idea. Like, hey, if I lock him up, everybody locks him up, and then there should be a growing army of locked up. Uh, Bitcoin's underlying these future and option markets. I think that's true. That's that's absolutely true. And in a way, the um, the cash and carry uh, traders and uh, or investors and the uh, covered call writers are uh, holders of Bitcoin at least for the time they uh, they have their contracts and. And that markets, those markets are growing fast, right? It's, it's the future market is 17 billion or 20 billion, something like that, open interest at the moment. So that would mean by proxy that about 17 or 20 billion Bitcoin is locked up at the moment in future markets around right. the world.
0: 20, 17 to $20 billion worth of Bitcoin, right? Not yes. Not that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only 80.5 wow. million, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, there yeah. there has been sort of like a drawdown from uh, exchanges recently. Do you think this might be part of the you know the cash and carry trade or the cover call trade? Yeah,
1: could be, and that's where the on chain analysis comes in, and it's very interesting because you can uh, of course track all those uh, those cash flows, those those Bitcoin flows, if you will. And uh, well, I talked with uh, Willy Wu uh, and Preston about this lately. Um, and it's it's yeah you see some very interesting patterns on chain and this uh, coins getting um, off the exchanges could be two things actually it could be uh, large buyers like MicroStrategy and Tesla etc that just take their coins off the exchange as everybody should do right I mean it's mm-hmm. not your keys not your coins uh, and we have seen some very horrific accidents with uh, with exchanges getting hacked or ex- um, accounts getting frozen by by governments Mount gox is one but there, there's a lot more uh, I think I, yeah so um, especially if you're a big buyer and and a long-term holder you uh, you you'd like to have your coins in uh, own custody and and uh, keep the security as at, at very high levels and keep them off the uh, yeah, well in, in deep cold storage as they as they say. So it could be that, or it could be. Um, I don't know exactly what is counted under the uh, exchanges umbrella. Right, I, I don't know if. Um, if futures and option markets, if derivatives markets are also counted in there. So it could also be, if if it if the CME and the New York Stock Exchanges are not in the uh, exchange buckets, um, it could be that there is a, a flow of Bitcoins from uh, the Krakens and the Coinbases and the Bitstamps of the world to, uh, to those option markets and future markets. But I... To be honest, I we're analyzing that at the moment. I I don't know which of the two it is, <laughs> but it is right. very intriguing. Either way, they, either way they're locked up, right? <laughs>
0: if they're in yeah. cold
1: storage, and or... either way, there's
0: there's less supply, which means that the price will have some uh you know because there's less supply and more locked up, that means that the price is likely to go up as well. Yeah, well
1: that's one thing we we can be 100% sure about. The shortage of bitcoins is getting bigger and bigger every day. It's it, the the shortage is real, believe me. If you look on-chain, there's just not enough bitcoin. And yeah, that that that's I think what's driving the prices, but yeah, that's also what what underlies the stock to flow model, of course. Uh, I think there there will be an eternal shortage of bitcoin.
0: Okay, well, so let's let's get to that because I can't believe we've been talking for almost an hour and we haven't really even mentioned the stock to flow model until now. Uh, but uh, let, can you um, can you tell our audience like uh, where you came up with this and uh, and why you think it's legitimate?
1: Yeah, um, not not to go into too much detail, but in the as a traditional uh, investor, y- you always have to have some kind of valuation model. You have valuation models for bonds, for equities, for derivatives, for everything. Uh, it's it's mostly uh, cash flow based, of course, because that's that's easy. Um, but for Bitcoin, that wasn't really anything. So, yeah, one of the first things that I had to have for myself, at least, to um to do an investment in bitcoin is, is some kind of model for for evalu- evaluating this this thing and um yeah well in the beginning i didn't have very much and of course there were there were some some metcalf based models or time based models that over time the number of addresses grows and the, the the value of the network then grows exponentially with that uh, but If I looked around at the time, when I looked around me and when I looked at myself, why do people buy Bitcoin? It's because of the 21 million. It's because it's scarce. And um, so I started looking for something to quantify scarcity. And uh, I, I know the gold market, for example, has this same problem because there is no cash flow associated with gold as well. It's just buy and hold. So what is it worth? There is no valuation model for gold but in the gold market and general commodities markets they do have a number that quantifies scarcity and it's the stock to flow measure it it measures how much gold for example there is above ground and how much gold there is uh, produced uh, every year and you divide those two numbers for gold you get then 60 it means there's 60 years of production of gold above ground uh, and the higher that number the higher the scarcity, if you will. So, yeah, I started uh, measuring that for Bitcoin over time, but also measuring that for different markets, like the gold market and the diamond market, the silver market, real estate market even. And um, yeah, if you plot that, so scarcity, stock to flow on one axis and the market value on, on the other axis, you get this straight line. And well, yeah, I was just stunned when I when I saw that the first time. I thought this can't be true, uh, but yeah, I guess it is true. And um, yeah, if if you run a, a, a more formal regression on it, then uh, yeah, it, it it confirms this feeling that there is a linear rela- relationship between the uh, logarithmic of uh, stock to flow and the logarithmic of the market value, with very high uh, R squared and. And very uh, well. The, the, all the other statistics, the F statistic, T statistic, etc., are are okay. And there's lots of statistical and econometrical debate going on, of course, about these models. But in the end, it's very simple. If the yeah, if that straight line is something, it's is not a nonsense uh, correlation that we're seeing. Um, then uh, yeah, Bitcoin should go uh, um, uh, in the direction of gold. Uh, because the stock to flow of Bitcoin now is about the same as gold, uh, wh- which means it has another ten x to go, uh, and then it should it should go after real estate market because the real estate market is even even scarcer than uh, than gold. It's it's stock to flow hundred uh, about. So yeah, it, it's 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 a very simple model. You can make very complex discussions about the uh, statistical properties of the model, but. In the end, it's, it's it's just the idea that scarcity and a 20-month million, million is the reason that people buy this stuff and use it as a store of value. And I think that's that's just from a casual uh, point of view uh, just true. At least it was for me. Hmm.
0: Yeah and uh and that's that's sort of the thing that we've been discussing is that there there is sort of like a shortage and when you when you have a shortage of supply that that of course uh you know means that on the supply demand curve that we we go uh you know towards a higher price and so on so um you know there there have been some criticisms of uh of the stock to flow model for example like If you're measuring in dollars, then you get this straight line. But, of course, uh, central banks are printing lots and lots of money. So, like, is there a better measure than dollars that maybe uh, can be used instead to, um, you know, maybe more uh, instead of dollars since, you know, dollars are expanding uh, particularly um, egregiously over the last year. So, like, what do you say to that?
1: Yeah, I think well first of all the the uh, the printing of dollars is affecting all the assets on the line, right? It's also affecting gold and uh, and and also real estate because everybody is is buying real estate. Uh. Mm-hmm. But um apart from that, I think the more uh pure way of looking at it would be to um value uh things, for example, Bitcoin in gold. So uh i just today put up a a chart by the way where where you measure bitcoin in gold and when you did that a couple of months ago it was like six ounces of gold and right now it's 23 ounces of gold already so even if you take the dollar completely out of the equation um bitcoin is growing and growing uh, relative to gold and i think all other assets because the scarcity of course is uh, moving up uh, through mm. the halvings, uh, which is which is very uh, particular thing for Bitcoin, um, and and less so for gold because the stock to flow of gold is sort of stable over the last hundred years. It was sixty plus or minus ten, um, mm. and so was the buying power, by the way, of gold. So, uh, yeah, th- this 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 is an area that that certainly should be looked into more. And it's is, mm. is part of future research. But uh, measuring Bitcoin in goal terms is a very pure way of looking at it. And then you see the exact same relationship.
0: Mm. So there, there's um, a quantification of scarcity in a way uh, that that we're kind of able to see with stock to flow that we haven't really been able to measure in any other way. Um, and that that to me seems like the basis of this model and, and the other model that you made, the S2FX model. Can you uh, describe for the audience what the difference between the S2F and S2FX models are?
1: Yes, uh, so the, the first model that I made at the beginning of 2019 was the stock to flow model. The stock flow model is a time series model. So I only looked at Bitcoin prices uh, monthly closing prices and related them to the monthly stock-to-flow. And, and that sequence of stock-to-flows and Bitcoin prices, those time series, um, they made up the model, the regression analysis, the formula uh, that was used in that model. And uh, the stock-to-flow X model, um, what that did was remove the time series element from it. So it what it did was Compare Bitcoin with gold and silver and other assets. So that's why it's the cross asset, the stock to flow X model, if you will. And um, and Bitcoin, yeah, it's 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 a bit of a difficult asset. asset. Uh, if you look at the last ten years, it's it has a wide range of stock to flow, of course, from uh, from one to uh, to about fifty five, where it's right now. But you can see if you plot that you can see clusters of stock to flow after the halving of course, and um, the values that are uh, associated with those uh, stock to flow clusters. so it might in my view it's it's better to look at Bitcoin as a asset that has gone through transformations from a well a proof of concept in the beginning to a uh, Uh, collectible, uh, to a uh, e-gold asset, uh, to a really financial asset that companies and banks and and, and hedge funds are looking at right now. So that particular stock-to-flow value asset, you could look at Bitcoin in those clusters as different assets. So I identified four Bitcoin clusters and combined it with the other assets like gold, silver, real estate, and diamonds. And run a regression through that, and and, and that's the stock to flow X model. Hmm.
0: And the uh, predictions, of course, are uh, seem kind of crazy when you <laughs> publish these articles. Uh, but now that we're almost at fifty thousand, they don't seem so crazy anymore. What, what's the response been?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, you know what's funny? The first article I wrote in March two thousand nineteen, I um. I had this prediction, and, and at the time, the uh, Bitcoin was between three and four thousand dollar, and everybody was saying, "Oh, it will go down, it will go down, and it will, will go to one below one thousand dollars." So, uh, when I came with the prediction of fifty five thousand dollars at the time, it sounded so crazy, and uh, and then I even I even tweaked the parameters a little bit, right? I rounded the the parameters of the of the model to to keep it a little bit lower because otherwise it would have been uh well eighty, ninety uh, thousand, 90,000. and <laughs> I thought that would be um yeah just just too crazy. So mm-hmm. but right now sitting at forty forty what is it forty eight six uh yeah yeah it sound it sounds really low and and yeah the stock to flow X model with a uh, target of uh, two hundred and eighty eight thousand as an average mind you as an average over the next couple of years that sounds a lot more fitting to the current uh, context of quantitative easing, uh, low interest rates, and uh, banks and hedge funds and companies just discovering this, this, uh, this new asset. Hmm.
0: And uh, what would it be if we, it were priced in gold? How many ounces of gold uh, is in uh, both models if we measure it in gold instead of dollars? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, about 100. 100 ounces of gold for the next couple of
1: years. So at current prices, that would be Um, 180,000-something. If the price of gold stays stable, right? If the price of gold goes uh, 50% up, (laughs) it will be pretty close (laughs) to that 288
0: number. Wow. And and how bitter do you think Peter Schiff will be if that ends up being the case?
1: I never know, you know? Either he is playing this so well and is buying like a madman while shouting that it's uh it's all nothing and uh, so so he's either loading up heavily without telling us or yeah well he has stuck he has been stuck at the uh yeah the the, the, the older uh generational uh crew uh, that that i mean that let's not let's not forget there is a whole a bunch of older people that have not been raised with computers and uh, mobile phones that are, yeah, just just a bit wary of things that are not physical. And you you mm. you feel that with Peter Peter Schiff as well when he when he touches his cufflinks and his, uh, the gold <laughs> and talks about gold and it feels good. It is so heavy. Uh, I yeah I think I I just think he's not a programmer. Uh, he he's not a he, yeah. Not so computer minded and maybe not so open to this new uh, digital and
0: and the power of uh, encryption, for example, yeah, it makes sense. So uh, are you working on anything else that we should be anticipating? because obviously stock to flow and stock to flow cross asset like have uh, have had a tremendous impact on this community. Um I'm curious if you have anything else in the works.
1: Yeah, there's lots of stuff in the works. So much, actually, that I uh, had to quit my job. So I'll be uh, 24-7 Bitcoin as of March uh, 1st, in two weeks. And Mm -hmm. I'm really, really looking forward to that. So my plan is to uh, first take a little bit of a holiday, not run to uh, all the things that are on my desk right now. (laughs) Just, Just... take a bit off, breathe and and think about what we are going to do. And there's so many opportunities. Uh, but yeah, analysis, investing, looking at this uh, derivatives play and uh, plays, the futures, uh, cash and carry and the option uh, writing strategies, that will be prime focus. And mm-hmm. also uh, on-chain analysis, the thing that, uh, that Willie and I talked about lately. I, Yeah, I'm really interested in all the online metrics. Uh, Stock to flow is one, but there's lots, lots more. Mm. Um, Yeah, and I talk a lot with miners and investment funds, and I really, really like that. So yeah, I I really want to spend the time analyzing, reading interesting stuff and meeting interesting people. So uh, yeah, very much looking forward to that
0: okay wow that sounds uh that sounds really fun uh where can people find you and how can they sort of support your work or read your work or whatever yeah
1: you can find me on twitter um plan b at 100 trillion usd that's my main uh, channel i do have a website it's it's planbtc.com and all the podcasts and articles are are on there so, uh, yeah, please please reach out. My DMs are open. And if you have interesting ideas or uh, stuff I need to know, please let me know.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it was really enlightening. I, I I'm going to predict right now this will probably be my most popular podcast I've ever released. But we'll see. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Plan B can be found at, at 100 trillion USD on Twitter and planbtc.com. Until next time, Fiat Delenda Est.